0: Hi, I'm Shekhar Gupta and I welcome you to my weekly podcast based on my column, National Interest. Catch it every Saturday morning. This is the week of the consecration or Pran Pratishthan in Ayodhya with humongous political implications. So it follows that National Interest this week is looking at those implications, particularly for those who do not like Mr. Modi, Narendra Modi, his government, his ideology, should they be giving up? Some of them sound like they are giving up. Some of them sound like this is the end of the Indian Republic, etc. So we are talking to them this week. So please stay with me as I roll out this week's argument on national interest for this very important political week. It would be delusional to argue that 22nd January would not henceforth be among the most important dates in our national calendar. Invention of a big new festival for the world's oldest religion, that's Hinduism, is quite quite an achievement for Narendra Modi. Some political questions, however, follow and these deserve a debate. Will 22nd January, for example, be a point of no return for our constitutional secularism? Is a counter to the ideological proposition now carved in the Ayodhya rock by the Modi Shah possible? Do Modi's challengers have a future? If the answer to all of these is resignation, then we had better close the debate right now. But we need not do so. Because that would be making the ridiculous presumption that henceforth there will be no competitive politics in India. Politics never stops in any society. If it did not even stop in Ayodhya's Ramrajya, it won't stop in 21st century democracy. However fraught, it might seem from where you stand. The most unexpected outcome of the Ayodhya event is how easily the many challengers to the Modi government and the BJP's ideology have conceded defeat. Many fear the republic is dead or at least that the republic they grew up with, built by the founders they so adore, no longer exists. That may partly be true, but it is in the nature of democracies that elected leaders can change their character and their direction. If you disagree, it doesn't mean the democracy is dead. The Republic has been tempered. this republic has been tempered through the Agni Pariksha of Indra Gandhi's emergency. It just so happens that the political forces she locked up in jails for up to 21 months subsequently showed the steel to redeem the Republic. It is their children and legatees who are now modifying and redefining some of its foundational principles. What is the BJP today? They can be challenged just as Mrs. Gandhi was in the 1970s. It is just that the challengers will need more than just righteous anger and outrage. They can in fact learn from the BJP's fight back against the emergency. It demonstrates how a dominant political power can be decimated, which was the Congress then, and how another can rise from nowhere, that is the BJP of today. Check out how the numbers changed for the BJP in Lok Sabha elections. The party was formed in 1980 April after the January elections brought Mrs. Gandhi back to power. It was the new name for the old Jansang and and it fully represented the ideology of the RSS. In its first Lok Sabha outing in 1984, the BJP won all of two seats. The next time in 1989, the number reached 85. Then. 120 in 1991, 161 in 1996 power still didn't come, 182 in 1998 and 182 again in 1999. The last two results gave the BJP six years in power under Atal Bihari Vajpayee. The remarkable fact that stood out in these years was how flexible the BJP was with its core ideology. The founders of the new party had the smarts to balance power with ideology. For the, for the big philosophical issues so close to your heart, the time will come. It is possible that your generation won't be able to redeem that tryst with destiny. Sorry, Nehru fans. But your children will. You need patience. To understand how patient and wily you need to be, again learn from the BJP. In 1989, it won 85 seats and could have asked for a share in, in a national coalition. But it did not instead it offered support to vp singh's janata dal from outside alongside its bitterest ideological enemy it's deliberate that we prefer enemy to rival the left front there was there was no shame in joining hands with the enemy's enemy there was there was there was a purpose one one to keep the congress out of power to weaken it. And second, because an unstable third-front coalition would further convince Indians of the need to have a national party in control. And it did not compulsorily have to be the Congress. They now had a choice. That's what the BJP wanted them to believe. And second, for the BJP to give itself the time to build a temple campaign. That's when Mr. Advani started the Rath Yatra the bjp lost power in 2004 for a decade but never fell below the three figure mark six years in power and credible governance had built its base by the end of end of this one was from power it had also built new talent and leadership personified by narendra modi lots of others also came up around that time in that process how did modi rise and become a colossus in national politics to rival indira gandhi He was a mostly unknown RSS apparatchik assigned to Gujarat in the mid-1990s. He did not rise to the top because of seniority, dynastic entitlement or, or some high command diktat even from Nagpur. He fought within the BJP the closest to a primary process seen in Indian politics. That's how he defeated so many seniors, former and serving party presidents and other national stalwarts. The party and its rank and file discarded the leadership that had lost 2004 and 2009. Compare this with how the BJP's rivals have done since 2014 with their leaders. Revolutions do not come overnight in stable constitutional democracies. They sometimes transcend generations. Between the two-seat disaster of 1984 and the majority of 2014, it took the BJP three decades of hard work, endurance lots of disappointments and some sacrifices the bjp leaders did not give up when their party had ceased to exist in january 1980 and mrs gandhi returned with a massive majority 353 in a house of 529 polled if they wanted to say it was the end of the republic they'd be even more justified than those modi critics who are heartbroken after 22nd january Especially as in Jan 1980, they would have thought that they had just rescued people of India from the emergency. The voters squandered it so quickly. And if the people of India were willing to forgive Mrs. Gandhi for the emergency and vote her back in power so soon, did they even deserve this democracy? Was it worth it fighting for that democracy? They didn't say so. That is why to say that the republic is dead and so is its liberalism, is Defeatism in Anger, Defeatism in Anger. It sounds like the furious parent in the 1970s movie telling their Weber child, You are dead as far as I am concerned. Democratic politics is always a battle of ideas, ideologies, constitutional republics do not die. Political leaders, parties, ideas do. Where did the libertarian idea of the Swatantra party vaporize, for example? In the 1967 elections with the tally of 44 seats, it was the second largest after Indira's congress, way ahead of the Jansang's 35. The next level of defeatism speaks out in the fears that Modi now has the power to abrogate this constitution. Write a new one. Usher in a new republic, change India into a presidential system and declare himself president for life. This will be the last election, etc, 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 etc. He will do no such thing. He draws all his power he needs from the same constitution, parliament, elections. Why would he change the system? The system, if it works so brilliantly for him. It is within the same system, constitution and politics that his rivals would need to find the political, intellectual and moral wherewithal to defeat him, also courage and spine, and rectify the direction of the republic if they do not like the course on which Modi has now set it.